This is a show about facing fear, unlocking courage, and taking action. Courage isn't necessarily a daunting thing. It's going to give you more purpose. It's going to give you more drive. It feels like making a courageous decision is going to get you closer to who you aspire to be. It's knowledge plus faith plus action equals courage. Every day I wake up, okay, is a gift. And that's a gift that I've been given as a result of being presented with the worst gift <laughs> that I never asked for. Pancreatic cancer has been called the king of cancers. It's a cancer that begins in the organ lying just behind the lower part of the stomach, pancreas. Uh, there are fewer than 200,000 U.S. cases per year. And um, many call it the world's toughest cancer. Few effective treatments, no early detection method, according to PanCan. Um, some would say it's a death sentence. Uh, my guest today is an eight-year stage four pancreatic cancer survivor, husband and father of two kids. He's my neighbor. He's my friend. Um, you know, look, Robert Duran, it's, uh, you're more than that to me. It's, you, you meet people in your life and it's like, okay, this is my people. Like this guy, let's get rid of the small talk. <laughs> let's get to it. We got things to do, right? Uh, but let's get to the most important question is, did, did you get your bike ride in today? And if you did, how long did you go? <laughs> I didn't get my bike ride in this morning, but I did get one in yesterday. And yesterday was about 15 miles. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I got the, I got the trails all to myself. And um, today I just went to the gym and did a little bit of workout. So did I did some things this morning. Also went to the beach. <laughs> I mean, so, but that's, so when you say you have the trails all to yourself, are you like, yeah, get these kids back in school already. Get these people back in work already. I went the trails. That, yeah, yeah. The trails were good. Uh, if you go early in the morning, you get it all, right? And and that's the story of my life is I get up early and I enjoy what uh, is has been given to me. And the joke uh, is uh, for Robert, actually, is uh, I don't know the coast of our hometown after 930 in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> unless I'm with my kids and, and, and whatnot, because I'm out there in the morning and I'm done when everybody else starts trickling through. 15 miles, that's I mean, you're from what I remember, you're you're like 15 to 30 mile a day, aren't you? Or is that am I, or is that a, a week? No, that's no, that's right. Uh, it depends on what what bike I choose because there's a full squish mountain bike, there's a gravel bike, which is similar to a road bike and whatnot. And so I I, I always said if I go out for like 12 miles on my gravel bike or on my mountain bike, that's equivalent to like 20 miles on the road because I'm working a lot more. Uh, and I believe for me, I get better anaerobic uh, because the power uh, for mountain biking and gravel biking is one that you're always on and off. Uh, the power to the pedals, whereas you're road biking, you just got a really good cadence and you can go for hours, you go to Oceanside and back and you're done, you know, it's 30 miles. So <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> easy for you, you know, and, and I think I want to kind of go back to this, you know, you, it's been eight years now, you know, it was 2014, I believe, when you were, I think, out on a 35 mile 
bike ride and I don't know how, what it felt like. I'd love to get your take where you just couldn't hydrate or rehydrate. What can you take us back to that day? Oh, sure. Uh, the thing that I love the most that puts me in my happy space uh, is cycling. And that was uh, something that almost killed me if I hadn't ended up in the emergency room the next day. So, I mean, to break it down, I went on a 35, 40 mile ride uh, with the local crew. And there's a bunch of different mix of riders. And there are a lot of A-type personalities and guys that just want to hammer and, 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 and run the pace. And so we were running pretty hard. And uh, when you're going on a ride, you, you, you hydrate. And then when you're done with your ride, just like working out, you want to get the uh, carbs and the protein and all the nutrients back in. Well, I, at the time, did not know I had a tumor in my pancreas. And even though my doctors were on the ball, right, looking for it uh, for a month and a half, was two and a, one and a half months, I didn't know that until the next day I had severe dehydration. I had to go to the ER. I had double kidney failure. I had liver failure. It was a culmination of two weeks of just losing a lot of weight and just being nauseous pretty much every day. So what I love the most, and I still love the most, uh, was something that almost killed me, but opened the next chapter in my life. What did it feel like? I mean, I know you said you felt like you were you were throwing up a lot, but like when you what what is it like? Were you just so dry? Like we just kept trying to drink water, or whatever you were drinking, and just nothing changed. See, uh, when pancreatic cancer is a disease that comes on really fast, relatively speaking, compared to other uh, cancers, uh, because it's diagnosed late. But uh, the acute phase when I was on my ride. I was drinking water and I came home and I drank, uh, well, I drank a lot of water during the ride. After the ride, I ate food, right? Some chicken, some broccoli, healthy stuff. And then whatever I ate did not go through my system. It was blocked because I had, uh, the tumor was blocking my intestinal tract. And so whatever I was eating was not being absorbed. So it came back up the next day. And so imagine all the water that I drank, it never replenished. So imagine going out on a hike, 30 mile hike or whatever, 98 degrees, and then you never drank water and you never ate. That's kind of like what it feels like. And then you just start getting lightheaded. You feel like you've been breathing helium, <laughs> lightheaded, and you get delirious and uh, you just can't think straight for yourself and your body starts shutting down. And I ended up in the R. Again, the pancreas, it's, 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 you know, I'm trying to, like, I am clearly not an expert in cancer, but I'm like trying to read up on it. I know where pancreatic cancer sits in the cause of cancer, like deaths in the nation. I believe it's the 11th most commonly diagnosed cancer, but it's the, the third leading cause of cancer death in the nation. And yet you've been able to matador this for eight years uh, again stage four but like it is directly behind the stomach i think it's been called like the hockey stick gland and as you said it's essential for digestion so if it's blocked i could see it's like imagine nothing getting through uh, because it's in such an obscure part of the body this is why it's hard to detect and why it's found unfortunately in advanced stages 
when you got it in 14, when you first you learned that you've been living with it, the five-year survival rate was only 6%. Correct. So, like, take me to the day the news is, like, is articulated to you. Mentality-wise, where do you go? Are you there by yourself? Is your wife with you? Like, give me the, what's the doctor like? Uh, so, what happened when I was diagnosed, Ryan, uh, back in April? Uh, this is the culmination of two and a half months of slowly dying. I had to go to the ER. Uh, my neighbor down the street forced me to get into your SUV because I was in denial. I mean, I knew something was wrong, but that called me hard headed, right? I don't recommend that. Go to the ER. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I ended up in the ER and they... Uh, gave me the initial uh, blood tests, found out that I was dehydrated. They found out that I was low on magnesium, potassium, just typical case of someone came in with dehydration. After they did that, they set me up for an x-ray. And so the doctor is doing triage. What's wrong with this guy? Why are you here? What happened? Right? So they're going through their progression. They found out that my insides, uh, <laughs> what did the doctor say? The doctor came back, the ER doctor, uh, came back and said, Robert, he put it to me in bicycle terms. He goes, your insides are kinked like an inner tube. And at that point, I knew something was wrong. And he said, it's kinked. And that's why what you've been eating and what you've been drinking uh, this whole, this past two months has not been going inside you. You've been slowly starving to death. And he said there was something that was causing pressure that was allowed that was not allowing any of the food to go in. And so they had admitted me and the next day they set me up for a CT scan. And the CT scan actually uh, showed really nothing. Then the next day they gave me an endoscopy where they stick a tube down your throat with a camera and they kind of navigate around. And the doctor said, hey, you know what? There's something really narrow in your stomach after the first turn and it shouldn't be there. So there's something externally causing your insides to kink and not allow you to digest your food. So the next day they sent me up with another uh, CT scan with contrast and then they found it. Uh, a golf ball size mass in the middle of my pancreas that had sucked up part of my intestine uh, and my pancreas was inflamed and that was causing me to slowly starve uh, to death. Two months. For two months they, they said that it had been going on. Yeah, two months. And uh, yeah, and so this is over the course of two days, they were going through this diagnosis. And that's when the doctor came back and said, Robert, we found a mass in your pancreas. And right then and there, I, I knew, I knew in the back of my mind that it was pancreatic cancer. Wow. Uh, well, you know, you hear about pancreatic cancer and you hear about all the famous actors, right? You hear about the Supreme Court justices, right? You You hear about... Uh, who's that? Patrick Swayze, right? Uh, from, and you hear about this, and you hear about somebody was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and then all of a sudden, three months later, they're gone. And that's what I knew about it. And when someone says mass in your pancreas, the first thing that I went to was, I've got cancer. And so that's what the diagnosis was. Obviously, they did a few more tests just to confirm that. But I'd already 
knew what it was. And the surgeon came in and said, this is what we think it is. Um, you have a 96, 94 to 96% chance of dying uh, first three months to the first six months. And so you should start thinking about things, get your life in order. So clearly this is in person. Yeah. I mean, did you go alone? Did, you, did your wife go? Uh, I was I was alone at that time because I had gotten admitted into the hospital two days prior, and this was during the day. And my wife was going to work, my kids were in school, and I said, "You know what? Go do your thing. We're going to figure this out, and I'll give you an update later." So I was alone uh, when the doctor came back and said, "This is what it was." All right, I appreciate you letting me be direct on a lot of this because this is not a. It's an emotional. I'm sure you've told the story a hundred times, but it's still emotional to hear it. Like your kids. So in 14, how old are your kids? Uh, my kids, uh, 14 and a half for my son, who was a freshman uh, at high school. And then my daughter is in fourth grade and she's uh, 10. That's today, that, that's today right? Today, today. So eight years ago, you got a six-year-old? And a two-year-old. Okay. And you're told to get your affairs in order because of the, the data, like... Does that rattle you? Does it, I mean, how could it not rattle you? I mean, that's, it's like waves. Like the first wave is, there's a mass. This is, you've been starving to death for two months. It's cancer, by the way. It's not just cancer, it's pancreatic cancer. And you know, where's your mind in all of this? The, I had two lines of communication that were, were given to me. Other One more line other than get your affairs in order. The other one was like, hey, there's there's things that we can do and if you are able to survive after surgery and chemo you can act like this never happened before but when i hear that you look at the percentage right it's like okay so there is some light at the end of the tunnel right so part of that did give me hope and as a cancer patient um, with probably will be the most, most lethal disease uh, coming up here in 2023 or 24, they predict, um, that, that gave me hope that I, could, that I can beat this or survive with it. So does that make sense? Um, I don't know. It does. I mean, like, look, this is, let's cut to the chase here a little bit. It's eight years. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're... Yeah here you are right and so uh, that alone is like awesome it's a, it's amazing that you're you know you talk about hope right and then i guess the more you go through it right the more you're still here the more does hope grow with every day you know there's two ways to, there's two ways to look at that uh, the, the longer you survive the closer you are to death <laughs> within the five years and, and, and my cancer has come back three times uh, since 2014. I haven't talked about all of the reoccurrences uh, in all the surgeries that I've had uh, to that has allowed me to be here talking to you right now. Uh, but uh, in one sense, uh, yeah, hope, hope, hope is good because uh, every day scientists and researchers are discovering a new effective therapy for pancreatic cancer that... Uh, has and what comes with it is better patient outcomes uh and so that alone is hope but the other part of hope is 
is being alive and doing what I do every day. Um, uh, dealing with this terrible disease that 60,000 people this year alone in the United States will be diagnosed with. And yeah, if you do the percentage, not many of them will be, will be left within five years and the majority of them will be dead within three to six months. Yeah. You know, one of the things I enjoyed about some of our past conversations, like, yes, the data back then said 6% survival rate over five years, but like you kind of looked a little bit deeper at that data, right? And that you ask some pretty smart questions to, to the doctors, right? To kind of get to your your conclusion that, okay, hold on now, w- wait a minute, maybe there's, let me stay laser focused on me, not on everybody else. And, you, you know, this is where it's like, I wish we weren't just doing audio, but so, because first and foremost, and I think it's better coming from you. If you were going to explain visually what you look like, tail the tape, where, you know, how tall are you? What do you weigh? Is that what you what you weighed back in 2014? Have you always been consistently at this weight? Can you give like a little description of the physical makeup of you? The, uh, well, right now, you know, I'm um, high speed, low drag. I don't have any hair, but that's because I haven't had hair in 25 years. So <laughs> me neither, by the way. <laughs> so I wasn't worried about, oh, you're going to lose your hair. Eh, oh, okay. What, what else is next, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they go, well, how about eyebrows? Do you need eyebrows? <laughs> and I go, what else? Um, eyelashes. And I thought, oh, wow, you know what? Those keep stuff out of your eyes. And I ride my bike a lot. And so now it's like, you know, I'm thinking about things that are not what normally people think about when you get diagnosed with this and you have to get uh, this type of therapy. But when I was diagnosed, I was 215 pounds. And... Uh, and what are you today? I'm two. I'm 168 pounds right now. Wow! And my lowest weight was 158 when I had gotten discharged from the hospital in 2014 after my surgery. I was only about my wife's only. She's five eight, one thirty eight, and solid water polo player. But I was only 20 pounds heavier than her, or something like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and. Uh, so yeah, so right now I'm sitting at 168 and I had a lot of I had a lot of muscle, but I also had a lot of fat. My diet wasn't particularly like the best. And um I was the type of guy that I would have two breakfasts, I would have two lunches, two dinners, I would have a few beers in between, and maybe I would go out with the guys on the weekend and have more beer. I was I was always the last guy standing, which was great for bragging rights, but not really good for health. Well, but maybe there is something to like, okay, the last guy standing, the irony, right? Like yeah. there, there is a mentality and a grit level of not saying like you always want that when you're going out having beers, but that mentality, right? And and I think that, again, like the types of questions you were asking your doctors, right, about the data and was it, you know, trying to get to the, your version of the truth, I guess. Can you share a little bit about the questions you were asking. And again, you, you had to come to some conclusion that there was truly an opportunity for hope versus like a false version of hope. Sure. Sure. That's a good question, Ryan. Uh, you know, when the experts tell you, these are what the numbers mean, they give you a, at least they gave me from my experience. Right. Uh, and this is similar to a lot of the experiences that I have heard from other cancer patients uh, that were recently diagnosed is they 
gave me a blanket percentage. Okay, six uh, percent chance that you're going to be alive, plus or minus, right? Let's we'll stay with that, right? And uh, I had asked, well, can you tell me how did you derive that number? And it was well, that's just the general number. <laughs> and I go, well, can you tell me the the age distribution? Can you tell me the I mean, the types of people who passed away and, and what condition they were in. And, 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 and they were like, well, that's just that. And you can go here and read about it. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? You're, you're doing me a, a, a service for finding out what was happening to me, but you didn't tell me, you know, what that means to me ultimately and how to fight this. And so, and that still is part of the challenges with, diagnosis today with at least pancreatic cancer. So I had to break it down manually. I had to understand what the absolute truth was and then how I move myself from that percentage to a more safe percentage to where, okay, I feel, I feel comfortable with my diagnosis and I feel comfortable with um, attacking this disease. And th no one will tell you that, uh, unfortunately. There's no third party there's no nurse, there's no department in any of the hospital centers that I've visited or that I've uh, learned about uh, through other pancreatic cancer patients that will tell you exactly how to survive when you've got this terminal disease. It's just, this is what we're going to do. Here's the standard of care. We're going to inject you with this and we'll see what happens. And that's it. And that's, for a first world country, that's, uh, yeah, that, that needs to change. And it is changing. So, well, you know, look, some would say that I tiptoe into the self improvement space. Right. And yet, in this scenario, you kind of had to improve yourself. Like you had, you had to keep going. And I, I try to imagine what most people would crumble or feel. Right. It's just human nature. It's not like, oh, one person's strong and one person's weak, right? Like if you're told there's, you're in a room with 100 people and then 94 of you, right, which is what the numbers were, right? By the way, the numbers are up to 11% now. I mean, it's like yeah. almost double. Like that is a, that's progress report, right? And it is. I'd love to hear like what's changed over those eight years that's gotten us to 11% now, right? But, but like you basically, and didn't the doctor also kind of say, or one of your doctors kind of look at you and just from your, let's call it what it was, uh, a deliberate interrogation, but a necessary one to get to the truth. He kind of responded about at least one of your doctors was like, oh, like you've got what it takes. Like, can you share a little bit about that story? Sure, sure. No, thanks for remembering. Uh, I remember we had, we had a chat one day, right? And I told you uh, this was earlier on in 2014 when I was, Initially diagnosed, I had to go through chemotherapy. And uh, I had met a doctor over at the clinic where I was getting my infusion. And this infusion, if you imagine you walk into a room, it's about fairly smaller infusion center compared to the major infusion center at UCSD, which is, by the way, is where I'm being treated at. This is probably a 5,000 square foot facility. So it's not large, right? For an um, for a, a a clinic of that of that size, 
and uh, there's about 30 seats in there. It's just, it's big, uh, but small. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I asked the doctor, I said, how do people do with this chemotherapy uh, as they started to put the drugs into an IV that was actually connected to a port? And when I say a port, it's it's not an IV in your arm per se. It's a port that's in your chest. And because they give you a port in your chest, uh, every week you go in, it's easier to just hit that port and just pour the chemicals in there as opposed to searching for a vein. Uh, and that could cause problems because you might not be hydrated enough and things can you can have problems. So he, I asked him, I go, what are the odds of, of, of beating this type of cancer he said he looked at me after about four weeks i was there he said robert he said you're going to be fine <laughs> he said i see a lot of people come through these doors and a lot of them do not have your what did he say your um demeanor and your positivity and you're healthy and you want to take care of yourself and you're taking charge and i didn't really understand what he meant at that time but he looked at me and said you're going to be fine. And that's the hope that I got from that doctor. And that's really what a lot of us really need in life, whether it's pancreatic cancer or not, right? Is encouragement and hope that there's going to be a reward. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I am so not a doctor at best. I'm a brand doctor, you know, like <laughs> uh, I'm a leadership doctor. I don't know, but like, but I have to imagine if your body is already working against you and then your mind works against you and your mind causes more anxiety and more stress and poor me or right. Like you're, you are, you're, you're, you're going the wrong way. And I, it is, a, I wonder, again, this is like, I'm not the doctor, right? So like the self-fulfilling part of it feels if you don't give yourself a permission to truly fight. Mm -hmm. And did you feel that for your fight? Or, I mean, you're still in it, but do you feel it every day? Are you still in it and feel that? Like you're just trying to stay positive and stay in it and stay hopeful and stay like, hey, like, is your mind working for you or against you? You know, uh, that's a good question, Ryan, because how do I even begin to answer that question? Um, we could be here for hours, but I think, I think the way to answer that question is every day I wake up, okay, is a gift, okay, and that's a gift that I've been given as a result of being presented with the worst gift <laughs> that I got that I never asked for. I mean, almost to the point where I wouldn't even wish it on my worst enemy. It's just that debilitating. Uh, but my mind um, is completely opposite. Um, so I've been told than what a lot of people think where my mind is. And you know how you can train and you could face your fears and you could rewire or remap the way your brain thinks of things. Okay. And there's things that are 
very subconscious that are built into our minds that just work a certain way. Okay. And there's a lot of people in like, let's say first responders, they go through training uh, or, and to learn how to handle themselves and civilians do that too. But some people are wired differently and that's another discussion. But for me, I've learned that dealing with the small things in life, using those things will actually prepare you for the heavy things in life, as opposed to, oh, Robert's got pancreatic cancer. He could be pancreatic cancer. He can deal with everything. The actual, it's actually opposite. It's dealing with the little things that control how your mind reacts that puts you in a mindset to do what you do. But if you can control that, you can deal with something that it's on a larger scale. Um, but don't get me wrong, that person who hits the accelerator on the I-5 when you put your blinker on to prevent you from going in, those little things, if you can handle those things, that will give you the tool to be able to beat, at least that's what's, that's given me the, in a nutshell, the ability to deal with this grave disease that I have every day. Does, does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's, it's a twist. It's, it's, it's completely opposite of what you would think or most people would think. Well, I love that when you're, in some ways, when you make the world just small enough for you, right, to get through the things you know you can get through, then there's an aggregate. There's a compounding factor to it. It's kind of what I'm taking away, which is cool because you've heard get the big rocks right first, and then the sand is the last thing that goes in. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like no, actually, like put the time and the attention on the the, those focus just shrink the world down basically to the little things now look i question for you so you're i mean your kids are two and six right when in 2014 when they find this golf ball size mass in your pancreas um and here you are right you're four they're now 14 and 10, 10. um like this is a tricky one like i mean you're superman I mean, you're Superman to them. Like, like they like they must be watching these Marvel or whatever they're watching. Like, but you're defying odds, and like, is that a scary thought too? Because they just think you're gonna. You've always their their whole lives. You've always had adversity, and knock on wood, right? Yeah, you're, we're here. We are having this conversation. Is that uh, is that how they see it? Is this does this terrify you? Is this a good thing? Where's your mind on all this? How deep do you want to go? I mean, that's, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that that's, that's a good question. Uh, and uh, it's, it's one of those things where my kids don't, or my daughter for the majority of her life, right? She only knows me and the, what I've been doing. And my son, at, I mean, at six years old, how much do you really know, right? Remember at six, I mean, things you don't remember much, right? So, so effectively for most of even my son's life, right? Right. I mean, he's what, 14 now, 14 minus eight, six, right? So majority of his life, um, they only know me as who I am and I face adversity every day. And so my mantra, if you ask my kids, they get sick of it is, you know, adversity will give you the diversity to handle things that come your way that you never asked for or didn't expect. 
And, uh, but on the other hand, and this is where the deep part comes in, is I had to tell my son again last month that my cancer had returned. And even though I'm at a one or 2% chance of surviving, because like I said, you know, the longer you go, the more the cancer grows in you and the more you got to fight, right? And you get collateral damage, right? Uh, I told my son that I was recently diagnosed and I'm going to go through the same thing I went through the last time and the time before that (laughs) and the time before that three previous times. And my son's a smart guy, a uh, smart kid, did a presentation on pancreatic cancer when he was in sixth grade. But I don't know, because he's not mature right now, doesn't have all the, the life experience at this age. Uh, I don't know if he really knows how dire of a situation someone with pancreatic cancer late stage could be. And when I told him that, I had to go through this again. He looked at me and said, oh, dad, that really sucks. But you know, you're Superman. You're going to beat this, right? What do I say to that other than, yes, I'm going to, right? Believe, do it. But that is how much my kid is counting on me for not only going through my disease, but just that's how he sees me. And my daughter she doesn't know. So I tell her things. I walk her to school. I tell her things for my benefit. Right. And, uh, and we know your kids eventually separate and they are their own human beings. And just last week, my daughter goes, dad, I want to walk to school by my own, on my own. I can do it, dad. And I said, no, you can do it. And that was probably the hardest thing that I had to deal with recently because I'm not ready to let her go because every day I wake up, I don't know what the next day is going to be because cancer could turn on a dime. But, um, but yeah, so it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, the mindset is, 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 is a battle. And that's what I go through every day, every day, but it makes me who I am. And that's what makes me want to do what I do. Well, it's, you know, in some ways I, you know, so I moved to Encinitas five years ago. So I never, I never knew that the 200 plus pound Robert, you know, I can't even picture the 200 plus pound Robert. Right. Um, and so like this, this version of you, like you said, like the reprogramming your brain and getting you ready and getting you here. I love that we get a chance to spend some time together. And one of the things that I, I hope is, you know, you're memorializing or you're documenting, you're, you're putting down your point of view and not just for your kids. I mean, I know they know how you feel, but I think it's critical because when you, when we talk about pancreatic cancer, it's called the king of cancers. And you look at the data, right? It's like, there aren't a lot of examples of people who, who are living today with pancreatic cancer. Like, is it important to you, like, to let people know survivors are out there, that there's, that it is getting better, that it's, you can, you can make it. Like, is that critical to you? Or are you just laser focused on your fight and that's that and your family? Where, where's the line on that? 
uh, I've learned uh, that uh, throughout my, I would say, I guess, battle, right? Uh, that the most critical thing for me to do is give back. And my faith, okay, is what's kept me aligned. And it could be someone's, whether you're spiritual, whether you have faith, uh, whether you live the word, right? Whatever it is, um, right? Helping others overcome their challenges is what we are here to do. And that gives me the fulfillment to continue living and helping those who have been recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer or going through their cancer treatment to at least tell them my experience because I have, oh my goodness, I've had so many different treatments, so many different experiments done to me. I had to recover after each one and I continually to continue to get surgeries, which typically is unheard of for pancreatic cancer patients. Typically when you're metastatic stage four, if it's spread to other parts of your body, the doctors look at you and they say, sorry, we're not going to give you surgery, but I need to reach out and tell my story as it pertains to me. And if I just save one person and if they find what I say beneficial, then I have to memorialize this. And that's what's been slowly happening, Ryan, is typically I'm quiet unless I talk about something that I'm very passionate about. And this is something that I found very, um, I would say, therapeutic, but it's also something that I feel I should do based on my faith. So I, I believe you're 55? Yeah, I'm an old guy. You're an old man. Me too. I'm, a, I'm 45, 46. God, I stopped at 45. Did you see what I did there? I was like, no. All right. Yeah. So one of the things that I find fascinating is that the older we get, the more we do things that remind us when we were younger, assuming we there was joy when we were younger, but not for everybody. I got lucky. I had a good childhood. So the older I get, the more I can return to my happy place, which is things of myself as a little boy. I am I'm in on. I'd like I'm trying to create those moments as much as possible for myself. It's not selfish. It just keeps me young, and mm -hmm. I guess that's where the term comes from. And Biking, riding your bike, I think is is what it is for you, right? Like, is it just a is it just your version of a time machine that takes you back to you at eight? Is it a meditation opportunity? Where did this come from, and how important is it to you? Uh, good question. Uh, I think how how I would answer that is. Uh, it does bring me back to my happy space, happy space, as I mentioned earlier, and and you had just confirmed, right? You have a similar uh, experience, right? Uh, doing things, right, that brings you joy, especially when you were as a kid, right? When we had no responsibility. <laughs> Good old I mean, days. So, uh, so yeah, I I I cut the cord in 2014 when I was diagnosed. I 
give me a digital antenna, right? <laughs> Just because the analog didn't work anymore, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I cut everything. I, I got rid of all the electronics in my house, all the things that were things that were there to fill something that I felt that I needed. You know, all these new shiny objects. Hey, look it, you can kind of do this app or you can do this. It's going to allow you to be control your life this much even be in more control of your life. But 24 hours is 24 hours. I wanted to kind of get back to the basics of just who am I as a person and what makes me tick. And to this day, I still don't have cable. I mean, okay, hold on. I I, I might have Netflix for my kids and, and, and a few other things, but that's it. Uh, and I have a 53-year-old car. I mean, I drive it every day. It's because... In my professional career, I'm a solutions architect for a cybersecurity company. And what we do is we do a lot of things that are underneath the layered internet that nobody ever sees anymore. And I see all that stuff, right? And But I don't adopt all the technology. I just kind of want to just take my life back. I want to be in control and I want to be pure. So, uh, yeah, cycling for me is... It, it, it brings me joy, and it reminds me of the time my parents drove us through Europe in back of a 72 Westphalia van, going through France, the Pyrenees, everywhere. And I think those days, you know, it's good to remember, because now in 2022, I mean, everyone's just, it, we're on the go. <laughs> there's something beeping, there's something coming at you, there's an app telling you you missed this appointment but you've got this latest app that tells you what's your next appointment right it's like what's going on and and, and one app is telling me to do something i don't know which one's that one it's just yeah i had to get back to basics and that's kind of what helped me uh deal with what i'm going through and, and i know you you ride now to raise funds for cancer research as part of pancreatic cancer action network community right pancan and um I want to go back. I know we're kind of coming to the tail end here of this conversation, but like you had said that there's now a 1% chance. Is that what you said? No. I mean, if I did, I misspoke. Uh, oh, no. Wait a minute. So as cancer comes back, let's say you have cancer, they resect it. You have no evidence of disease. You're in remission. Okay. When it comes back, it's angry and it's pissed off. And it could have developed some sort of a adaptation, or it could have adapted to be resistant to the drugs that you were taking previously. So they give you the drugs that you got previously, and, and it doesn't have an effect. And so now it's taken over your body. And so when you go metastatic, that's the point where, oh, crap, okay? That 6% chance of living okay, you're now that much closer to the edge, all right? Because they can't give you surgery. Well, in most cases, they won't um, because it's already spread. And so from a workflow perspective, it's like, okay, all right, you have cancer. You beat it one time. It's come back. It's already spread. We know that if we do surgery, the chance of you surviving is low, the risk for surgery is high, right? What quality of life are you going to get? You know, the protocol says no surgery if you're metastatic. And, and that's just the system. That's the protocol that's designed to get millions of people through the day, I mean, through the system a day. It's good. But on the other hand, it could be 
it may not be what you want. Uh, so yeah, so, but it came back not only a second time, <laughs> a third time, and it's now my fourth battle. And so when you look at it, it's like how many hits can someone withstand, right? You're taking hits underneath the waterline on the ship and you're getting torpedoes or, right? Or NFL player, right? You, you know, ACL gets blown out, right? Things start happening and eventually you go down, Right. And so it's just a matter of staying ahead of the curve and, and, and being uh, the best patient and taking care of yourself physically as well as mentally to be able to receive the treatment that they give you. And um, yeah, so that's what I meant by 1%. Right now, I'm, you know, I, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a challenge, but I still have gotten treatment. And I'm still battling it like I did three previous other times. And the treatment, the art, art aren't you in a like you're not going traditional chemo route you're part of a new trial is that correct correct uh i am well i'm in a i'm in a clinical trial so if you can imagine a world where anyone with cancer no longer has to get chemotherapy which has been around for I don't know, multiple decades, right? And it kills good cells and it kills bad cells. And often enough, the chemotherapy itself becomes, the side effects are so bad than the actual cancer. And then there's nothing, you know, and unfortunately the patient just can't deal with it. And then it just goes downhill from there. Uh, and so for me, I uh, was lucky enough to participate in a clinical trial. And I was one of very few patients in the United States to ever get this type of treatment. And that's where they take your white blood cells and they genetically modify them like Spider-Man, right? And they- I knew you were a superhero. <laughs> I knew you were a superhero. <laughs> genetically modify uh, your uh, white blood cells or your immune system to recognize the cancer that your body previously was ignoring. And hopefully they'll jump, it'll jumpstart my immune system to- to recognize the cancer in my body and, and destroy them. Uh, so that's just one tact, one option that I have. And I've been very lucky to actually get that therapy uh, because they only give it to very few. Uh, I mean, it's still in early, early trials. So how many in the US? Um, I think I was lucky patient number 13. Yeah. For wow. pancreatic cancer. And so it's, 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 it's something that's new. And, uh, uh, a lot of patients are asking me about it. And so I have I've done some videos and put up a website to let them know, you know, this is what I'm going through. And if you survive first line and second line therapy, that's another discussion, uh, you can get advanced treatment. And these are one of the treatments that scientists and researchers are coming out on a daily basis that could save your life, right? So that's part of what I do is educate uh, uh cancer patients and treatments that are coming out. And then other than that, just awareness and early detection. That's why the the, uh, the survival rate is higher because you can catch it at an earlier rate. People are more aware of what it is. I mean, look, again, this for there's been a lot of smiles <laughs> coming from you during this conversation. And it's for someone who has battled cancer, pancreatic cancer four times and to still find the smiles and the joy and I, I, I'm sure there's had like, this is like how much did you talk about faith? Cause I believe in that too. Like the universe, yeah, yeah. the universe has decided for some reason that we were supposed to meet, right? The universe has decided yeah, that yeah. you were going to take it on four times and 
and here and here you are, right? And so I'm sure you've thought a lot about this experiment called life. And it, I'm sure it forces you to think about this experiment called life. And so I'd love to know, like, you know, again, it is the Courageous Podcast, right? So like, what's the lesson? Like, what do you want people to walk away from? And I, I want to set up the second one because the second question's harder. What about for your your wife and your kids? Like, what do you want them to take away from this? And the answers I imagine could be slightly different, but I'm curious, like, what's the lesson first for the listener? Like, as they go about their day, what do you think it is? The So the way I would answer that question is the lesson for the learner. And I, it's not my place to tell people what to do but it is my place to share my experience and how I've been able to deal with it. And whatever the takeaway is from, from my experience, you know, that's however they want to use it or not use it is, is up to them because you are in control of certain things. Okay. There are things that you're not in control of. And I think my takeaway is this because of my faith, because of my belief in my life is not, truly my life. Okay. Um, I no longer have to think of the inevitable of waking up maybe tomorrow when I've got this big pain in my stomach and all of a sudden they say, Robert, things have changed, right? This is bad. That can happen tomorrow. Right. Um, right now I'm okay. Um, right. Knock on wood. Uh, I could deal with that. Um, not knowing because of my faith. So control what you can control and roll with the things that you can't control. And that is what I would say about that's the secret. Because when you worry about things that really have no bearing in what your mission, your objective is supposed to be, that's just noise. And there's a lot of mental I don't know, cycles, CPU cycles that is just making you be inefficient. And in reality, um, if you can block those, the white noise out, then you would enjoy the things that are in front of you, the present, live in the now, right? Because again, it goes back to what's going to happen tomorrow. And every day I wake up, I live that. I don't just say it in passing. Hey, do what you do today because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, you know what? Every day. But when I woke up this morning, right, I'm lucky to be here, right? And that's what makes me who I am. And I just want to go out and just share my experience with, with, with others. However that, however that ends up, right? Um, it's just I have, I've just I have way too much to say based on my treatment. I love control what you can control and roll with what you can. And it, it makes a lot of sense that you cut the cord when you did, right? Like we have stories being told to us and we're just sitting there, right? Sort of marinating in other people's stories Yeah. versus cutting the cord and going on a 30 mile bike ride every day or 
finding your happy place and whatever it is that reminds you of you when you're happiest. And I appreciate that. And I wish more people would think part of this is how do you design the story for you? Um, there's been many things that have happened in my life. Um, not at the, to be honest, at the extent of your eight year spar, but I, I call them negative blessings. These moments that have happened to me mm -hmm. and almost every time a negative blessing has happened to me when I've chosen to look at it that way, right? There's, that's the optimist in me. It, there has been yeah. good that has come of it. And as we, as we, we yeah. get ready to wrap, I, I do want to hear what's, if you feel comfortable sharing, what's, what's the lesson for your wife? What's the, what's the conversation like? What's, what's the lesson for your kids? What, what do you want them to take away from this experiment? Uh, that's a good question. I always say, you know, that, that also comes up to my, uh, absolute truth mantra, right? The truth is, is I live life to the fullest every day. I don't know, 150%, 125, whatever, whatever the number is, right? And I would said that I would exchange that, that, that I would live that way for five years, right? And now I'm living eight, okay? I would live that way as opposed to living 20 years at 75%, okay? So the absolute truth to the other side of that equation would be, my kids and my wife would probably want, want me around for eight years, 10 years at 75%. And that is something that I cannot control. And so the only thing that I control is to just spend time with them and, and be a dad. I'm, I'm human, so I make mistakes. And, uh, I'm learning to be a better dad every day, um, regardless of this pancreatic cancer. And I want to let them know that, you know what, adversity, even <laughs> the adversity that I face, right, will give you the diversity, right, to live your life. And uh, that is the words that my dad spoke to me when I was growing up little. And uh, hopefully they can see by example. And hopefully they can see that, you know, even though I have this terrible disease, I'm still going out there and helping others. And I do it because it's the way it should be. Not because I have to do it or because I have to repay all of the doctors and nurses. Um, my neighbors that have been so comforting in my time of just fighting this disease, it's because it's the right thing to do. And um, sometimes you just do what you do. And that's what I try and do. Control what you control and roll with what you can. I, I love that. And if you wanted to um, follow Robert's story and Robert, man, you're an inspiration. I, I love that the world brought us together and I'm happy to like, let the world know all about your story, you know, and you can follow his story at robertdurandduran.com. And um, 
I wish I could just come across here in a Zoom call and give you a big hug, man. But I, I know I'll see you at the school, assuming your daughter will still let you maybe kind of walk a few steps behind her on the way to the school. Yeah, yeah. Huh? <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how I can do that without. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I, <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to deal with it, but uh, I will get there when we get there. Right. Hey, adversity, right? It's good. Adversity brings what? Uh, you know, figure it diver- out. yeah, diversity, right? In, in a different sense of, right? Not the diversity that we hear about nowadays, right? I mean, that's good as well. But like my diversity is right, right? Is like, you've got a different tool set and you've got all these experiences that you throw in there. And that's what you bring out when you decide to face your fears. And hopefully, um, you know, hopefully I get a bigger tool set to deal with this moving forward. So Robert, keep battling, keep, keep cycling, keep being, keep, keep it real, man. All right, Ryan, see you later. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Courageous Podcast. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts so more people can find us. See you again next week.